0: You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, Resonate, good to see you guys, good to be here. Uh, we are, again, in Jonah, and we are progressing through the book. Today we are in chapter 3, and in chapter 3 we get to see a really profound moment um, and, a, and a really simple idea that we're going to just kind con- connect with in, in terms of what scripture looks like and, and really how that lands in our life. And, and this idea of, uh, of Jonah and these Jonah moments that we have, we talked about that um, last week. Um, I, I remember a few years ago, I was working with college students in Vancouver, Washington, and, uh, I, and I met a guy named Tracy. And, uh, and Tracy was a unique guy. Tracy was um, just built like a bowling ball, um, bald head, piercing blue eyes, and he had just met jesus and um, and he had had a pretty significant shift in his background, pretty significant shift as he began to make Jesus Lord, because um, Tracy was one of the more significant drug dealers in the area, and Tracy um, had a, a past that that was just normal and uh, and heard the gospel and and, and radically changed his life. And so I'm, I'm there, I'm sitting in the cafeteria of Clark College, and I'm interacting with this guy, And it is a, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, I don't have a background of drug dealing. And so um, as I interacted with him, it was just this, it was, it was amazing thing. And I'm talking to him about, uh, about what it looks like to now follow Jesus and, and what it looks like for him to, to take next steps in his brand new faith. And Tracy, um, I I began to say, okay, who's around you? Who do you need to tell? And and how do we gen, begin to move towards them? And uh, I began to unpack. I was like, here's what I want us to do. I want you to be able to um, tell all these people that are that are in your kind of sphere of influence. And I want you to tell them about who you are now and how Jesus has changed you. And we're going to start a Bible study. And um, And I remember he looked at me with that bald head and those piercing blue eyes and said, no, we're not. <laughs> I was like, hold it. What? That's not how this is supposed to be. You're supposed to be like so overwhelmed about that, that, that God has loved you that you begin to say, oh man, what do I need to do to be able to share this newfound faith and this good news with, with all of the other people around me in my life? And, uh, and I was like, hold it, Tracy, that's what you do. Like You begin to tell people about what has happened in your life. And he's like, do you know who drug dealers are? They're horrible people. And I was like, wasn't that like you two hours ago? You know, this is like this fascinating moment. Right. And so I began to say, no, we need to move towards them with, with the gospel. He was like, they're horrible people. Let me tell you, they are just, they're just not people that you want to be around. And, uh, and so I was like, I don't know if you understand what we're talking about, like, and how this works. And it was this fascinating moment um, and, and, and he was like, and there's no way I'm taking you anywhere near these people. Um, and I was like, okay, that, that's fair, that makes sense. Um, we can agree on that, Tracy. Uh, but this is this moment where, um, where he's, he's talking about what it looks like to take next, state, next steps and there's this clear thing that he wants to do but even in the very beginning of his faith, he has this Jonah moment. He has this moment where, uh, where the next step for him to be in line with Jesus is to take and to be able to, to, to not just have this as a private faith, but have this as a public faith. But what that requires of him and what that requires him to actualize is something that is, uh, that is really different than, uh, than what he's expecting, than what he's ever done in his past and carries with it some, some significant cost to it. And I think about who that looks like and and I think about Tracy's story and and how God began to transform him and ultimately send him back out into that group of people. But I think about God's will for us and I think about the, the place that we're in as we look at Jonah chapter three. We begin to see this entire narrative of God interacting with Jonah, telling him, hey, this is where you should go. This is what it should look like. Telling him, hey, this is how your life needs to you know, be oriented. And then he has this moment where he's in the belly of this fish, and he has this repentance moment. We talked about that. And now he's back, and he's been vomited on the shore, and now God's word comes to him again. And there, we at, there, there we're at in, um, in chapter three. And so that's where we're going to be today, really looking at what it looks like when we begin to move towards. God? And what's on the other side of our yeses? When we run from God and turn back to God, that's kind of where we ended last week, right? What's this moment of repentance looks like when we go back to God? What happens then? You need to know this. You need to, you need to have a clear understanding about when you say yes to God, what is God up to? And so here, this is what we're going to find out in chapter three of Jonah. Here's what it says. It says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Not not necessarily the most popular message that Jonah was proclaiming, right? The Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. You know, just like you and I would do, right? This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything, Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgency urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with his compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So there's this incredible moment that happens. So all of this has transpired where Jonah hears the voice of God. He runs the opposite way. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. And then ultimately God hurls the storm. The chaos comes. He gets thrown off the boat. He gets swallowed by the fish. This is the the graceful moment, right? Where he repents and he returns back and God sends him back in the direction towards Nineveh. Then ultimately the, the call of God comes back upon his life. And Jonah walks into this city and proclaims this message and this radical, thing happens. And so that you begin to understand the context of this, let's go back to where we started about who the Assyrians were and who lived in Nineveh. These people were not, you know, normal people in terms of being able to provide quarter. They are people that conquered, that created slaves. The way that they would bring their slaves back is they would hook them by the nose or by the cheek and they would tie them together and they would lead them back. And they, would, they were known as incredibly cruel and violent people. The bones of their victims, they stacked around the, the, uh, the sides of the walls of the city and on the roads in order for people to understand that they are to fear the Assyrians and fear the Ninevites. And this is the entire thing. They're just a terrorist state in that day and age. And so here's the way that this this goes down. You begin to see Jonah who goes into the city. He is a foreigner and he comes not with this army that's surrounding the city that's projecting force, not with anything that's happened in in order to provide him a place of prestige. He's just a dude from another place who walks into the city and says it's gonna be destroyed by a God that they don't even believe in. This is this incredible moment where you begin to see these people respond to Jonah's message. You begin to see that all of a sudden what happens is they begin to believe what Jonah says, and they begin to respond in a way that shows in a very dramatic exterior what is happening on the interior. They take, and, and here's what, what you begin to understand this, this idea of sackcloth. This was what they wore in order to show that they were broken on the inside. This is what they would show if they were mourning or show if they were in some sort of state of um, being repentant or broken so they would take and they would put these rags on and it would display the fact that they were in a period of mourning and and repentance and And these are people, they were spiritual people, because in that time and place, spirituality was everywhere, right? But they weren't godly people. And so what they do, this is really fascinating, what they do is they take and they do whatever they think is the most significant way for them to show how deeply they've been broken and how significant they're turning in their ways. So it's, it's, it's all these people that they're saying, okay, put on sackcloth, that's not that's not it. Also stop eating and drinking. So this is so significant that we're putting aside normal daily rhythms in order to show just how significant this response to this message from Jonah really is. But it goes even further than that. They're like, we want to show so dramatically how we're changing our ways that it's not just the people are doing this, but it's the animals too, right? So now they're taking their animals. I don't know what this looks like, but it had to be somewhat comical to Jonah. And and for him to be able to say, okay, now we're gonna put sackcloth on the goat. And so the goat's going to get sackcloth because the goat is in repentance as well, right? For doing the goat kind of things that the goat did because we're all in this together, right? It is animals, it's people, we're all fasting. We're all displaying how broken we are from this thing. And, And so I want you to get, and I think these details are here to show how deeply significant this message ends up being to these people. And again, let me remind you, Jonah doesn't walk in as an authority, Jonah walks in as an everyday dude whom he would have not stood out except for the fact that he was not from there. But there's a lot of people not from there because there's a bunch of slaves. And so he was just a guy and he begins to walk through the city and he's proclaiming this message, right? And who knows why? Maybe it's the smell of fish guts, you know, that begin to emanate from him that that helped the uh, entire, this guy's, this guy's kind of crazy, right? This is what we begin to see. And what I want you to understand, what all of this is packaging together, this is the biblical truth that you need to latch onto and fully begin to realize, because this whole chapter is really simple and it's not complex. Sometimes we walk through some stuff that requires a, a lot of different understanding, but this is a very, very simple idea, but it's one that will change your life. And then the, the, the place that's most difficult is not for us to understand it, but for us to fully believe it. Because if you begin to believe this, it begins to change a lot of how you live. And here's the truth, that God never asks you to do something that he hasn't prepared you for. That God never asks you to do something that he hasn't prepared you for and prepared you to walk into. That when God calls you to do something and you immediately say, you know what, I'm not sure I want to do that, I'm not sure that that's the way I want to go. Oftentimes, we can begin to say, okay, I'm going to run away from God because maybe I don't feel prepared for this, or don't feel like it's going to work out in my favor, or I'm not even sure what I'm walking into, and we can have fear, and we can have anxiety, and we can not know the future, and we want to make sure that we provide security, and so we take it, and we control our own lives, and we can control our own decisions, because we don't know what we're walking into, but I want you to get this truth, that when God calls you, when God says something to you, when God put something in your context, to be able to direct your steps forward, to be able to help you to make decisions, to help you to know the next thing that you need to do. He's always preparing you and he's always preparing on the other side of you for whatever happens and you're walking into for that to go as he intends it to go. There's no happenstance with God. There's no wasted opportunities with God. This is, this is how this works. And as you begin to get this and you begin to understand one of the things that we need to fully believe and to be able to walk into is that when these things come and we begin to understand what God is up to, we have to take a step back and we need to understand really clearly one thing, God's, we need to understand God's purpose. So as we understand God's purpose, here's what, here's what we need to fully, fully believe that as we look across the entire narrative of the Bible, and as we see, begin to see the behavior of God and we begin to see what God is doing, it begins to inform us of what God is about, his purposes. And you need to really clearly understand as you begin to pursue God and some of you are following after God and you're singing songs to God and you're praying prayers to God, you need to understand what is God about? What is his purposes what is, what is he trekking towards? What is his bullseye? What is his target? Because if his target is different than your target, then ultimately there's going to be a collision that goes nowhere, right? That you have a thought, this is what I think God is going to do. This is what I hope God's going to do. But if you don't understand what God has orchestrated, it doesn't ever work out. This is the entire uh, story of the Bible. It's the entire story of this book. As we begin to see, what is Jonah? The book of Jonah is a group of people that have clarity in the truth of God. And from that, there's someone who is being sent out from that group of people to another group of people that need to have the truth of God in order for them to be saved from God's judgment and wrath. And they're walking away from God and their ways are not godly ways. And so what happens is a group of people here, there's someone who's being sent out to another group of people, right? So this is group, this, these Israelites, is sending Jonah to a group called the Assyrians. This is the story of Jonah. As we begin to take and see the overarching nature, this is consistent with the missionary nature of who God is. That if you begin to take the entire narrative of the Bible, what you begin to see is a God who pursues his people. That as a God who is active, if we begin to say, Let's look at the behaviors of God. And if you were to say, what is God doing? God is taking who he is and he's expanding who he is that all people will know the goodness, the grace, the mercy and the truth of who God is. This is God's narrative. This is what he is all about. And if we're trying to figure out what what is God after? What is God trekking towards? We begin to look at his behavior. We begin to look at what, what he does and what he says. And we begin to say, God is a missionary God. And this missionary God is ultimately taking and having people that are full of God's purposes that he sends in order to fulfill his purpose in the world. And so this is the clarity as we begin to understand, do we pray to a God with this understanding of what God is about? Or do we pray thinking, I'm going to simply get God to do my thing. I'm going to try to co-opt a powerful, all-knowing God to ultimately get my agenda back on track to provide power for my thing. If we begin to do that, what we begin to understand is we've missed out on the narrative of God. And when we miss out, we we misunderstand what the calling is in our life. See, all of this begins to make sense when you begin to ask the question, uh, what is God's will for your life? And for you to begin to say, what does God want me to do? And there's decisions that you're making in your life. There's decisions about next steps. There's decisions about, I mean, where do I go from here? Some of you um, are, are in the process of, of trying to figure out anything from relationships to majors to jobs and all of these things. What, what do I do next, God? And when you begin to understand the purposes of God, then it helps you to understand something fundamental to who you are. And this is to understand your primary calling. That when you understand what does God want for everyone, you begin to understand your primary calling and your primary calling is this. This is the thing that God has called everyone to do and did for everyone to be a part of. And here's how it makes sense that when we begin to see in the old Testament, as we think about Jonah, that was a specific calling that someone was to be able to say, Hey, you're the person that's supposed to go into that other group of people, because that's kind of how this thing worked. But to understand this more fully, we have to understand at that point, there was a specific group of people called the Israelites, and this was God's people, and God's people had God's truth, and ultimately, to have a relationship with God, they had a sacrificial system. I know this is kind of crazy, and so annually, they would sacrifice to be made right with God, but then God did this. As a missionary God, he sent his only son to this earth. And he sent his son, Jesus, and we get to celebrate that. And he sends Jesus into this earth and Jesus comes and he doesn't die just for one group of people or just a certain ethnicity. Jesus comes because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone might have eternal life, right? And this is this idea that salvation comes to everyone, that Jesus enables everyone to have access to God, not just a group of people. And so when salvation comes, to everyone, the purpose and the mission of God also comes to everyone. So now it's not just one person in their specific role to go out and say, hey, you're the person who takes the, the truth of God to someone else. But it's everyone's role for, for that because salvation broke out and came to everyone. And so does God's mission come to everyone and gets dispensed to everyone. Now, here's the thing. We have to understand that if we receive and understand that this is salvation that, is, that anyone has access to if they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that that also must be true of this mission because sometimes we can act like this. We believe in the salvation that's for everyone, but then we actually live as if it's just us. And maybe there's some certain people that are to be called to go and make disciples and to go send out the good news of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, this is our primary calling And this is what God has called us all to do, is to be people, if you believe in Jesus, that you are part of his mission to make disciples, to take the the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news and to spread that to every nook and cranny, to be able to put this everywhere in the world because the entire world should be redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the primary calling. And for you to be able to understand, the first thing that defines you is that you're a child of God and you operate in your identity with his purpose. Now there's another thing that you need to understand too is this, is understanding your secondary calling. Your secondary calling is really who you are created to be uniquely. Now if everyone is called to be a part of God's mission, it doesn't look the same. And we all have these different gifts and talents and personalities and the, the, the way that we're wired. The beauty of the diversity is so amazing as we begin to see how we are so different and we get to celebrate that not everybody likes to do things this way and not everybody's wired to do things that way. And in this, as you begin to discover this, man, this begins to be your sweet spot And this is one one of those things that I deeply hope that is, if you're you're an adult, if you're in college, wherever you land, that you're consistently pursuing, knowing how God has created you uniquely, and so you can begin to understand your sweet spot, and maybe you can ask questions like this: What are my natural talents and abilities? Like, what are those things that I'm just inherently good at? What are those things that I can do better than most people? I ask people, I was like, what's that thing that if there's 100 people in the room that you can do better than 99 other people? What is that thing? What is that thing that is just really easy for you? What's the thing that you're most passionate about? It might be that God has orchestrated the unique circumstances in your life, that you have a unique passion about something that someone else would never have the context to be passionate about and for you to understand that and for you to live in that. And what are you most burdened by? What is it that you look around and you say, hey, that's an injustice. Someone should do something about that, that there's some, there should be something, there's an opportunity and someone needs to seize that opportunity. And man, it's great to have the diversity and to celebrate. And you look around and you're like, man, I'm so glad that you're good at that because I'm so lousy at that. I, I, I remember, you know, you ever had those moments where you discover both what you're really good at and what you're lousy at? I, I had a moment, I graduated uh, college and, uh, and I graduated in December and went immediately and, uh, and started waiting tables. And I waited tables at this like mid-range Italian restaurant. And um, and I'd never waited tables before, and I was doing that in the evenings. I was teaching high school in the in the daytime, and so I was teaching high school English. And, and then at nights I would get done. I would go and I would uh, I would go work at this Italian food restaurant, and I discovered something about myself. I discovered that I'm a lousy waiter. Like I'm just not wired to be a waiter, mainly because of my inability to carry any more than just a couple of details in my head concurrently. And so there'd be like six people, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm going around, I'm getting everybody's, uh, I'm getting everybody's order and I can remember the first couple and then I'm just making up step at the end, you know? And that doesn't get you great tips. Hey, this is a surprise tonight. This is you said, you know, shrimp scampi but I gave you calamari because I thought you were a calamari kind of guy, right? This doesn't work well. I just don't function like, like that way. You so said you could write it down. I should have, right? Um, but that was not my call. And aren't we aren't it isn't it great that there's people that are just fantastic about that. So you take an introvert without details and put him as a waiter and that just doesn't go well. But you have a sweet spot. And here's the thing. As you begin to discover your sweet spot and you discover who you are, let's put all of this together. And and I want you to, to kind of parse this out, right? As you begin to say, what's God's purpose? And then what's his primary calling on your life? And what's his secondary calling? When we begin to take and we begin to say, hey, my primary calling is to be a child of God on mission with God, making disciples that follow after Jesus, and that's what God is all about. And so that's what God is going to naturally funnel and fuel in my life, right? But then when we begin to say, and my secondary thing is that I'm an architect or a businessman or I'm a lawyer, I'm a teacher, I'm a student, I'm, I, I, whatever, right? And there's these specific things that we begin to align to. What happens is this. Oftentimes, what we do is we invert our primary and secondary callings that our primary calling becomes, I'm an architect, right? And our secondary calling becomes, and I follow Jesus. And what happens in that is we begin to think, hey, God, I need you to help me with all of these things, but we've inverted our primary and secondary callings, thinking that Jesus is all about helping our secondary callings without ultimately starting with our primary calling. And when we begin to do that, what happens is we miss out on the power of God, we miss out on the providence of God, that God's at work around us, and we're asking him for like, like these, these really specific 2% kind of things, and he's like, don't you begin to see all that all I'm doing out here, and you're asking me for this. See, I remember one time in college, I'm walking across the, uh, the lawn at, uh, at, at my university, and, and I'm trying to figure out my major, and I'm asking God, God, I know you know everything, it would be really helpful if a little bit of what you knew about my life would be really clear to my life. And I would know that. And so God tell me, what should I do? What should I be majoring in? And I remember this moment where God says uh, to me, it was just so clear. was just imprinted. It was almost audible. One of those moments, right? What I want is to see all of these people in this context Asking me that same question, asking me what I should do, uh, what they want me to do with their life. And, and I thought, Man, that's not exactly the answer to my question. I understand what you want, God. And, and as, I, as I began to kind of hear this, like imprinted, I began to say, maybe I'm supposed to do that. Maybe I'm supposed to work with college students. And, and ultimately, that's what God's calling me towards, right? But in that moment, the specific nature of, uh, of what I'm asking, God says, I need you to get my primary calling. I need you to get your primary calling before you get your secondary calling because your primary calling is to make my name and my renown known to everyone that's around you, right? This is, this is what I've called you to do. About a year later from that, it's the the moment that I have where the specific nature of what God calls me to do begins to send me out of the South and up to the Northwest. So here's where you begin to say, okay, what does it look like for me to understand primarily my identity or my calling Um, my primary calling and then secondary understand, Hey, what is it that's unique to me that I begin to walk into? And when we begin to understand that all of a sudden things begin to break open to you. So what did, what did Jonah begin to understand? Man, he was called to go and to take the message of God to this group of people. And when he began to get, even though he ran away, when he went back to that, he began to understand this primary calling. And for Jonah, it was also a secondary calling that he was to do this. But this is what was happening, that he begins to understand, okay, if God, if this is your purpose, and my primary calling is to be about this, and my secondary calling is ultimately the context that I execute the primary calling, do you get that? That, That's where I need to, to land. And so what happens is he turns back to God and he walks in and he begins to have this moment that when we begin to understand this, that we begin to understand the power and the providence of God. So when we discover God's purpose, man, it begins to unlock his power and his providence. So when God begins to operate, here's what happens. He begins to open doors that you didn't even know needed to be open. He begins to do stuff and exude his power in ways that you didn't even understand. Guys, this is where it really gets exciting. And and this is where I want you to taste this because if you would just for a moment just understand what it looks like to operate in faith and to take steps in your secondary calling but with full understanding of the knowing the primary purpose and your primary calling, then you can begin to see God do crazy stuff because here's what God is doing. He is preparing you along the way that God is taking, and for everything that he's asking you to do, he's readying you. That anything he asks you to do, man, it might be mind-blowing. It might be like, I don't know if I can do this. I promise you that whatever God asks of you, whatever he's asking of you, is preparing you to do. He's preparing you to walk into. He goes to great lengths with Jonah, right? To prepare him for his capacity to say what he needs to say in this moment. I mean, think about what it took to walk into the most savage barbarian group of people with a message of their destruction. But what happens is this, he goes through and he's like, I was just swallowed by a whale and then vomited. Literally things can't get any weirder. If God's going to do this, then I'm pretty sure he's going to have his will in this next moment, right? He's preparing him and we take steps and God prepares us along the way. But as he prepares us, here's what I want you to also get, that he is preparing people and he's preparing the circumstances on the other side of our yes. On the other side of us saying yes, God is already working for his will and his purpose to be made known. Again, this is God's purpose and so God's working behind the scenes and we don't even realize it and he's saying, I need you to say yes to this because I'm already doing something around here that requires my people to accomplish my purpose and this is just the way of God and I don't understand it sometimes but God wants to use you and me to be able to do things that are way beyond our pay grade in terms of spirituality, in terms of God's movement. He wants to see us do crazy stuff, right? And normal stuff. It's just it's all together. But what you begin to understand is when you look at history, and you look at that time frame, and you begin to take and look at the historical records of the Assyrians, and you look at Nineveh. What had happened was this: that there was pestilence, there was famine, and there was disease. That all kind of merged in this one time period, and created a condition where people are, remember, they're, everyone's spiritual at that point. They have all these gods, they have all this stuff. They're saying, hey, what is going on here? The weather patterns, all of this stuff, the, the context that God had designed because his hand was at work created an openness to Jonah as he walks through those gates, as he proclaims an unpopular message to a barbaric people, they have been pre-coded by God and his orchestration of everything to be able to receive that. And so you look back at the history of this and you begin to see that makes a ton of sense. That God was at work both in the massive ways but in the very significant hearts of all of these people in a very significant way right and so what was happening is Jonah's walking into this moment and he has no clue right Jonah for all he knows is got about to be killed he's about to be added to the pile of bones that are outside the gates and he walks into this and all of a sudden the unexpected thing happens the barbarians the savagery the violent people begin to say Let's tear our clothes. Let's begin fasting. And Jonah, right? He walks into a moment that God had already prepared. I want you to get, when you begin to understand, hey, God is, God's purpose is happening, that he calls you to be a part of his purpose in your unique context, right? In your specific, in your specific calling, Whatever your specific calling is, your dorm, um, your major, your friend group, your Greek house, whatever that is, right? There's something specific that God has you in. But in that moment, and God says in, in, the, in the book of Acts, and God knows the time and the place, and he sets you there on purpose. But in that, I want you to get that God has called us, and he has prepared us simultaneously to see something happen that we don't even know about. And I get so excited when I hear the stories of people that said, hey, this doesn't make much sense. And I'm kind of, I, I don't really know how this is going to work out. But, but ultimately I said, yes. And I'm going to let God work this thing out. And to hear the stories of, I just said yes. And I didn't really know. And, and, I, was, and I had a, a lot of trepidation. But let me tell you what happened. That as I began to do what God asked me to do, as I began to say yes to God, all of a sudden, what I didn't know that God had been doing things in the hearts of the people that I didn't even realize, right? And some of you here, you're, you're you're hearing this, right? And your heart has been prepared because there's circumstances that are going on in your life, and, and today you're you're listening to this, and all of a sudden it makes some sense because. Because God might be doing some stuff in your life to prepare you to be able to say, hey, two weeks ago, I would have laughed at this content. Two weeks ago, I would have not even been able to heard, but I'm tuning in right now because there's something that God's doing in my life to make me absolutely needing to hear this and respond to this. I want you to get, this is what faith looks like when we begin to understand that God is going ahead of us. There's a guy named uh, George Mueller. And George Mueller uh, was a guy that, It just really exuded this kind of faith. And George Mueller uh, lived about 150 years ago and and was a guy who was known um, as as a guy who just knew and and, and trusted that God was preparing him and preparing the thing that he was asking for on the other side of this prayer request, the thing that God was calling him to. George Mueller, um, like many here, found God in college. Someone invited him to an off-campus Bible study and he had like to mock Christians, but he went to this Bible study and he found Jesus, radically changed his life. By age 28, he decided to start a, uh, a mission organization called the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. I hope it had an acronym um, because that's a long thing to say. And, and he had all these things, but the one thing as we look back in the history, uh, what we see from George Mueller in his life was this. He was known because of what he did to curb or or to minister to orphans in England. At the time that he started uh, this, when he was age 28, um, there was about 3,600. There was about 36, there's a place for about 3,600 orphans in England. By the time of his death, because of what he did directly, there was over 10,000 places for orphans in England to be cared for. And it said this, because of his action, there was 100,000 more from other people who joined into the effort because of George Mueller. And and he would be crazy because he would say, this, I know what God has called me to do. And so I'm just gonna do that because I know if I'm doing what God has called me to do, that God's gonna show up. And over and over, there's these stories. Uh, Let me just give you a snippet uh, of these stories. It says this one time, uh, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat the house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you and I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. And so he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. And it was just enough for the thirsty 300 children. This was story after story of this guy And this guy, it says this, my business is with all my might to serve my own generation In doing so, so I shall be best, so I shall best serve the next generation. Should the Lord Jesus tarry, the longer I live, the more I'm enabled to realize that I have, but one life to live on earth. And that, that this one life is, but a brief life for sowing in comparison with eternity for reaping. This is a guy who began to say, okay, what do I do with my life? How do I begin to, by prayer, understand what the next step is? One of the things that I do with our staff, um, we have now uh, churches in four different states spread out over all these different areas. We have about 60 people on a video call every Monday at noon. And as we get together, The first question I ask all of our staff in Resonate Church is where have you seen God at work this week? Where have you seen God at work this week? And from people who are spread out all over in different states, in different time zones, different contexts, the stories begin to pour in hey, this week we began. To, we, we saw this person uh, do this, that, that this person said yes to God in this kind of way, that, that we began to see that these things that had begun a few months ago all of a sudden had radical fruit that this person who decided to follow Jesus is telling this person about this. And we began to see three and four generations of people who are following Jesus now. And we begin to see story after story after story roll in. And for the first 30 minutes of our staff meeting, the one thing that we focus on is where are we seeing God at work? Because as people who have gone out from these sites and have planted church after church after church, I want them to know that as they go, God is going to be there. That as they go, God is already at work. That God is already doing stuff. That they show up, and when they put their yes" on their table, God shows up in all of His providence and all of His power to be able to reveal what He is already doing, waiting for their yes to be yes, waiting for them to show up, waiting for them to get into this context, to be able to walk on campus, to be able to walk into their work, begin to be able to share with their uh, their coworkers, to be able to share with their friends, to be able to do these things because God is already there and resonate. I want us to get to clearly understand that God is at work in your friend's life. God is at work in your coworkers. God is at work in places that you don't even understand. And so when you start off and say, I don't know what this seems like. This doesn't make sense. I have fear about that. That's perfectly logical. Here's what I want you to understand, that your God walks ahead of you. And that as you walk into moments where you don't understand And as you walk into moments that don't make a whole lot of sense, and as you walk into moments that may take the most courage you've ever had in your life, I want you to know that you do not walk alone. God has prepared you for these moments. And God is preparing on the other side of you when you say yes. So what happens when you stop running away from God and you run back, God? On the other side of your yes is a God who's been preparing for you and waits for you. So what is your Nineveh? What is that thing? What may be that thing that seems scary? What may be that thing that seems daunting? What may be that thing that seems like, I don't know if I really want to make this decision. What's that thing that God's waiting on your yes for? What is it that he has clearly said, hey, this is my purpose. I've uniquely created for you for this. I've prepared you for this. May it be today that from all across this place, we begin to see people that say, I'm gonna walk in the Jonah kind of way through the gates of what might be the biggest fear of my life, knowing that God walks ahead of me, knowing that even though I can't figure out everything and I don't know the future, but I do know this, there's a God who knows the future and I'm gonna trust the God who knows the future. What's your Nineveh? Today, would you begin to, take a step and to be able to say, I believe that the God that led Jonah through those gates is going to lead me through the gates that I'm spacing, even though it might seem daunting. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would take and you would just give us a crazy amount of courage. Lord, that you would take and you would defy logic. You would help us In these moments where it seems like we can't make sense of what you're saying. Or these moments that we simply don't want to do it. But God, I want to ask of these, these people that can hear my voice. Lord, that you would give them clarity on what is their Nineveh and what you want to do, God. Help us in this great adventure to not play it safe. God, please don't let us be secure, praying tiny prayers to a tiny God, trying to figure out how we can get him to do our thing when there is an adventure out ahead of us, God. I pray that we would begin to see your spirit move, Lord, that we would be able to see you dramatically show up because we put our yes on the table. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.